And, and uh, so, so in our, in our sermon series, uh, today my, my sermon title is called Live a True Life. And, and I don't know about you guys, but when I hear about, you know, people like Bob and Luann who have been willing to invest in, in a place across the world, right? He's like, I didn't even know where Kenya was. Or, or as we've been studying the book of Acts and, and are reading about the Apostle Paul and just this guy's willingness to go out and serve people and to go into cities where he knows he's going to be persecuted or beaten or imprisoned. Uh, and he's willing to go there and, and share Jesus with sometimes the very people who are going to be fighting him, right, or beating him, but he's showing the love of God to them. And it's like, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I feel like a disconnect between that sort of life in the, in the life that I sometimes live, all right? And, and like, just, just being honest, like, and, and one of the reasons I, I think that can happen is, is because it's so easy to live according to this world, right? Where just all week long, right, we're just living according to our own experience. We're just, we've got our five senses, and it feels as though so often that this world is all that there is, right? That this is, this is what life is all about, right? And I'm just thinking about you know, kind of what, what, what am I want to eat for lunch today or what, whatever it might be. Like, it's just so easy to live just kind of in our own routines and patterns and thinking about just us. And, and so one of the things that we're going to read today is because is we, we're looking in the book of Acts and we've seen Paul do all of this amazing stuff with self-sacrifice and he's, he's like working, you know, making tents by night and planting churches by day. He's, He's writing letters and encouraging believers, and, and he's traveling all over the world just trying to, to persuade people about this God that loves them and wants to forgive them and, and is willing to go through all of this difficulty. And, and I just wonder why. Like, why? what motivates him? What causes him to do that? Right? What, what brings him to that point? And, and when we actually were last looking in Acts together, we were in, at, I think, Acts 21, and we saw that Paul was right, visiting these churches on his way towards Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit is repeatedly telling Paul, like, listen, you go there, like, imprisonment is going to happen. That the Holy Spirit is reminding him over and over and over that, that it's going to be difficult. But Paul is still choosing to go. Right? He's choosing to go there, and, and, and I'm skipping a few chapters here, but, but what happens is he does end up going to Jerusalem. He does end up meeting with some of the apostles and the disciples, and, and he preaches the gospel, and yes, he does end up getting arrested and brought before uh, the council and the high priest, Ananias, and, and right, he ends up having opportunity to share his testimony there. And, and while he's under arrest, right, he's under the care of the Romans, and there's actually this group of people who go on this hunger strike saying that we will not eat or drink until we kill Paul. All right, like, so there's some people that just like, don't like Paul. And I'm assuming these people really like to eat food, right? And they were willing to like give that up until they could kill Paul. Like that's how much they wanted to destroy him. And as a result, the Romans heard word of this and they actually send him back uh, to, nope, I was gonna say Capernaum, that's not it. Caesarea starts with a letter C. I was close. I was close. All right. Uh, and, and they bring him to uh, Felix, the governor, uh, so that he can then hear, right, what, it is, what this case is about. And so, so Paul is imprisoned, and they wait five days for his accusers to arrive so that they could present their case against Paul and say, like, you know, this guy's this troublemaker. He's, you know, doing all of these things. He's, you know, 
pre- preaching Jesus, and, and he's, he's bringing up all this turmoil in Jerusalem. Like, we, we need to have this guy killed. And so Paul ends up having this opportunity to defend himself. And in his defense, he gives us a glimpse as to what motivates him to do the things that he does. Right? Like, what, what is different for Paul than for me? Like, why is Paul living this life that is so different than the life that, that I often find myself living? Right? And this is what he says in Acts chapter 24, verse 14. And so he's accused of, of being a Christian. He says this, but I admit that I follow the way, which they call a cult. Okay? So uh, as a Christian, he's following the way. That's kind of what they, you know, terminology about themselves at that point, right? The way is, is following Jesus, who's the way, the truth, and the life, right? Where Jesus makes that claim about himself. He says that no one comes to the Father except through me. So those who follow the way are those who believe what Jesus said about himself, that he was, in fact, right, the Savior sent by God, the provision by God to, to pay the penalty for your and my sin, right, that we could be forgiven. So he's like, all right, I'm guilty as charged. I'm a follower of Jesus, okay? He says, I worship the God of our ancestors and firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets, Okay, and so I just want to point this out, that Paul, who writes about two-thirds of the New Testament, right, most of the preaching I do, I, I preach out of the New Testament, right, we're, we're very gospel-centered here, but it's the whole Word of God that is beneficial for the sake of teaching and building up and correcting, right, and equipping us for every good work, okay, and notice what Paul believes, Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, believes, right, everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, right, he believes the entire Old Testament. Okay, so I just want to point out, he's, he's grounded in the Word of God. And this is what he says. He says, I have the same hope in God that these men have, that he will raise both the righteous and the unrighteous. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. And so, so notice this, that Paul is keenly aware he has this hope that God will one day raise the dead, raise the righteous and the unrighteous. And this isn't just some New Testament idea, because he's actually saying that the, the Jewish people who were accusing him in this moment actually have that same hope. It's actually referring to some passages from, from Daniel, that there will one day be this resurrection. And uh, what I, I find interesting here, perhaps, is that both, the just and the unjust, both the righteous and the unrighteous, will end up being resurrected. Okay? And like, so that's, that's like, kind of like, all right, like I thought just, you know, those who've trusted in Jesus, right, are, are going to spend eternity with the Lord. But it's actually both get resurrected. And Paul says it's his hope in God's resurrection that motivates him. It's because of that that he tries to live a life in which he has a clear conscience before God and before other people, all right? And so, so what he lives his life focused on is this idea that eternity is the true reality, that there will one day be this moment where God's kingdom is fully established, right? Where justice comes, where suffering comes to an end, where, where death is defeated, right? Where God's kingdom will have no end, Right, where God will remake the world as he intended it. Right, this good place that he has made. Right, that, that, that's what Paul looks forward to. So, so one of the ways that Paul lives his life is with this mindset right, that this life is not all that there is. 
Right? He reminds himself that, that, no, 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 I can't just focus on the fact that I'm in, in prison right now for preaching Jesus. Because this is not the end of Paul. Right? He's like, this is not the end of my life. I can't just focus on the fact that right, I get shipwrecked and cast at sea and right, all of these difficulties. I can't just focus on the fact that I get beaten and left for dead and thrown outside the city. Right? He's like, this is not what life is all about. And so that's why Paul is willing to do things that seem contrary to the logic and reasoning of this world. It looks like he's out of his mind at some point, but it's because he has set his mind on eternity. He has set his mind on what I will claim is reality, right? Because we will spend far more time on that end of life than this end, all right? That this, this, this part of our lives feels so real. Like I said, like we've all got our senses, right? We, we can fall back into the routines and rhythms of just living according to this world, according to our own desires, pursuing our own comfort and everything else, right? Like we can just fall back into those routines and the only way we can live a life that is a true life is to be persuaded of the truth. We need to allow our hearts to be exposed to the word of God, right? So that we would be reminded of what is true. Because if we don't think true thoughts, we will not make wise choices, right? The life that we live will be very different than a life that would be based on what is actually true and real, right? If I, if I base my entire life or if Paul based his life on just whenever he was suffering, he's like, you know what? This isn't worth it. I'm done, right? Like I just got beat up. I'm not preaching that Jesus stuff again, right? Or like I'm in prison. Like what can I do to avoid being in prison, right? Like he's, he's not living that life where it's just all about his own survival or his own comfort, but he's focused on this fact that there will one day be this resurrection of the just and the unjust. And so Paul is motivated by reality, okay? And so <clears throat> this idea that there was, is this resurrection of the dead, uh, it's not just a Paul idea, it's this Old Testament idea, but I want to show you a verse that Jesus talked about this as well, okay? Because sometimes like we're like, yeah, Paul says that, but what's Jesus say, right? And I, I understand sometimes like, I might put a little bit of precedence there as well. So in John chapter 5, <coughs> Jesus, when, when being confronted by those who were kind of rejecting him, this is, this is one of the things he said. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. All right, so just so you're aware, Jesus is the one to whom all of us will one day give an account. All right, so I don't want to define the success of my life on my own terms, I want to live a life that will be success, uh, successful from, from Jesus' perspective, all right? Like, that's the life that I'd want to live, okay? He's, and he says this, verse 28, just because we know this is what we're doing. Like, I'm like, really? He's like, don't marvel at this, right? Do not marvel at this. He says, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of life. Of judgment. And so this, this biblical picture of after we die, we will all experience resurrection. We will all actually face our creator, right? the God who loves us, who breathed life into us. 
Okay, and, and there's this distinction. Well, we'll actually, some will end up going into this resurrection of life, and sadly, some will be resurrected for the sake of judgment. All right, like quite a contrast there. And if this passage were the only verse that we ever had on this idea, it would be easy to like read this and be like, okay, do good, get life, right? Do evil, right? Get judgment, right? It sounds as though... Salvation is kind of based on good works here. But fortunately, right, what Jesus is saying is true. But fortunately, we have greater clarity when we, when we weigh this verse amongst the, the full counsel of the word of God. Okay, so like, that's why you don't ever want to just like pick one verse and just be like, well, I think that's what that means. So therefore, I'm, you know, like you kind of need to study the whole word of God to be familiar with what God is describing. <clears throat> and so, so it sounds as though, right, those who do good we'll have this resurrection of life. But when we weigh it against the rest of Scripture, consider the fact that, right, we are not saved by good works, right? We're saved by, by faith, right? By grace through faith, trusting in Jesus, trusting in the gift that God has given us, right, that we can be forgiven of our sins, right? We're not saved by good works, right? Uh, that, that, that no one, by fulfilling the law, can be made right with God, or as it says in Galatians, that if, if keeping the law could make us right with God, then there would have been no need for Jesus to die. Okay, so like the Bible's really clear, like it's not based on our good works. Yet, those who are made righteous, those who are made the righteousness of God by trusting in him, will do good works. Right, we're not saved by our good works, but once saved, we do good works. The Bible says that we've been created for good works that have been laid out from before the foundation of the world. And all we have to do is just simply walk in them, right? It's like we don't even have to be creative enough to come up with them on our own. God has been thinking about this forever, right? And he's like, I've got this plan and purpose for your life, right? I'm not just saving you for yourself, right? I'm not just blessing you for your own sake. I'm blessing you so that you can be a blessing, all right? And so, so Jesus is telling the truth here. That those who do good works will, right, experience the resurrection of life, okay? Like, they, they've experienced salvation and sanctification and change in their hearts, okay? That they will end up doing good work and they will, right, end up being resurrected. And sadly, for those who reject the sufficient offering of Jesus' death and resurrection, right, those will, unfortunately, be resurrected unto judgment, and like those are, that's an unsettling thought, okay? Like that's not a convenient part of Christianity. Like it'd be far easier for me to just think about like kind of the promises of God and these good things and these blessings that he gives. But unfortunately, if I live my life ignoring sometimes the difficult truth, I will live an ineffective life, right? If I only live my life based on kind of like the, the, the parts of the Bible that make me feel good, right? Or that will you know, result in the least confrontation with other people, right? If I only live my life that way, I won't actually be living according to reality. I won't be making wise choices. I won't be living a life in which I'm doing the very good works that God has called me to do. All right, so it's not like Christians like revel in this idea that some will be resurrected under judgment. Like, no, we're heartbroken over this. But in, in recognizing the truth of that reality, it will change the way we live now, right? It will change the way we pray for other people. It will change the way we treat the world outside, right? That we will be in pursuit. We will be seeking to save the lost. 
All right, and that's the way that Paul lived, right? So this kind of is starting to make sense, right? He's aware that there is this eternity coming, and what he does, the way he lives, is a result of his knowing and placing his hope in God, right? That there's this one day coming in which all things will be made right. And so, so how does knowing that believers in Jesus, followers of the way, how does knowing that they will be resurrected unto life change the way we would live right now? Right? Like if, if we are persuaded of that reality, it'll change the way that we live. It'll change the way that we serve and care for others. Because Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Right? It'll change the way we are generous. Right? It'll change our perspectives about money instead of just kind of like trying to hoard to survive and just grasp and claw that, that I and my own might live. Right? Like it's like, no, no, no. Like God's got this purpose for this life. Like God, God's blessed me to be a blessing. Right? Like it's going to change the perspective in which I live. It's not going to just be about this, this rat race. I'll, I'll be less invested into this world and more invested into the one that is to come. Right? That I'll, I'll spend my money wisely or I'll be generous with it because I use it as a tool for the sake of the world that is to come. Right? I use it as a tool to show the loving kindness of God to those who would just be like perplexed. Like, why would you be kind to me? Right? <laughs> like, like, we want to like, take people back so that we could give them a reason for the hope that is in us. Right? So we are willing to serve others. We're willing to, to suffer in this life differently as a result, right? Like if I'm fully aware, and I'm not always, just so you're aware, okay? But if I'm living my life according to this idea that there, there is this eternity coming, there's this resurrection of life that I get to look forward to, a forever with Jesus, right? Then it will change the way that I experience or perceive the suffering that we endure in this life. Right? Like if, if I'm only living according to my senses, suffering would produce in me bitterness and contempt. Right? Suffering would bring about in me something where like I might question God's goodness. But if I realize that I don't need to like call him into account for the way the whole world is right now in this moment, that I realize he's actually producing good in this world, that he's, he's got this day when everything will be made right. But in the meantime, right, like I can place my hope in the, in the God, the, the judge of all the earth who will surely do, what, do right, right? Like the one who has already demonstrated his love for us by giving his life for us when we were his enemies. Like, so like it brings me to the point where it's like, okay, like just because I'm in this difficult moment doesn't mean that God doesn't love me or care for me, right? He's, he was willing to die for me and I surely didn't deserve it. So like be persuaded of reality, and it will allow you to endure difficulty right differently, right? Like the way you respond will be different, okay? Think about like the disciples in the boat with Jesus as he's sleeping in the boat and they're, they're going over the Sea of Galilee and the storm comes in and these fishermen, they're panicking. They're like, we're all gonna die, like we're gonna drown. And they wake up, Jesus, Jesus, don't you care? We're perishing, right? And like Jesus is like, yeah, like I've got this. Like peace be still, like... And, and like in the moment of chaos, notice what they questioned. They questioned whether or not Jesus cared for them, right? So like if, if I'm so focused on just my senses in this world, I might question the actual reality, right? I might begin to, to doubt whether or not God is truly loving. And like Jesus is like, I've got this, guys. 
right? Like, I've got this. And it's like, it stretches your, your faith in that moment. And, it's, you know, he's like, hey, guys, come on. Like, like where's your faith? I told you we were going to make it to the other side, right? But, like, in the middle of those circumstances, if all we focus on is our experience and what we're feeling, all right, we will not have a correct perception of reality. We're getting bad signal, okay? Like, we're not going to understand or, or make actions that are, are in line with the truth. Okay, and so like this is the way that Paul lives, right? This is the way that he endures suffering, all right? But, th- but think about, so like, so never mind just believers being resurrected unto life. Like, how does my being persuaded that there will one day be a resurrection unto judgment for those who have not placed their sins in the forgiveness of Jesus, right? Like, wh- like how does that change the way that I live? And notice the way that Paul lived, right? He was desperate in pursuit of the lost, right? He was willing to to take harm on himself for the opportunity of telling others about Jesus, right? Like, if I live my life according to my own senses and comfort, right, and desires, like, there's no way I'd be doing that, right? I'd be like, this person's probably going to be mad at me for telling them this, Right, like, I'll just kind of stay quiet and eat my lunch, right? Like, like why would I want to go out of my way for, like, this trouble that it would bring upon me? But if I recognize what is at stake, that this life is not all that there is, that there's this rescue mission that Jesus has sent us on, that he's empowered us by his spirit, that he's already planned out these good works for us to walk in, right, there's opportunity there, right? There, that we have this hope that we can bring to the world. And unfortunately, like, that's completely contrary to what the world wants us to do. Like, they're just like, no, 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 you keep religion to yourself, right? You don't tell other people that. Or they're just like, no, every idea is equally true. But that, like, who told them that idea was true? <laughs> right? Like, that doesn't make any sense, right? But, but the reality is, like, we need to be persuaded of what is actually true, that there is this eternity coming, Okay, and like that's one of the reasons why Paul's life was so different than the lives that you and I lead. All right, uh, I was just reading this morning in, in uh, John chapter 18 when Jesus is arrested in the garden, right? He's, he's going to be arrested, he's going to be crucified. And, and his friends are there and, and Peter gets angry and he like, he takes a sword and cuts off the ear of like the high priest's servant. Right? Like, he's like, I'm going to stop this from happening. Like, why would Jesus go to the cross and die? I don't understand. Why would a good God allow that to happen to the one good person that's ever lived on this earth? Right? And so Peter, like, he's got this sword and he's like, I made up my mind. This is what I'm going to do. Right? And like, Jesus ends up like taking that guy's ear, heals him, and then chooses to go with these soldiers, right, in prison. Right? Like, it's, it's amazing. Like, Peter was living according to this world, his own senses. And when Jesus ends up being interviewed by Pontius Pilate, right, he said, like, I hear that you're, you're the king of the Jews and, and this and that. And, and one of the things Jesus said is that if my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting that I would not be handed over the Jews. Right? Like, that they would be fighting for me that I would not be crucified. And so what's interesting there is Jesus is aware of God's kingdom. He's aware that the, the experience that he's going through, right, might look one way. It might look like he is the imprisoned, but yet he's the, the son of God, right? That he is, in fact, king over all the earth. That he does, in fact, have authority over all people, right? And he said, like, listen, if my kingdom was all about this little world, 
right? Then my, my people would be fighting. And so Peter's perspective, like he was living according to this world. And not that it's easy, but if, if he was persuaded like Jesus was persuaded, he wouldn't have been like lashing out with his sword to, to kill the guy. But just so you're aware, he wasn't aiming for the guy's ear, right? <laughs> like he was, he, was, he was aiming to do a little bit more damage than that, I think, right? So, so that's, that's like this reality, like God's kingdom is not of this world. And as long as we live according to the principles of this world, our lives will be different than the life that God has for you. Let me, let me show you a few examples from Scripture. Uh, Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. All right? And so, like, what's funny is when we doubt the words of Jesus here, we're like, I don't know, maybe I should, like, store up treasures on earth. But we don't actually disagree with the second part. Like, it's like when, when you invest in stuff, like, it breaks down, it rusts, it falls apart, right? Like, it, this world isn't actually all that great of a place to invest in. Like, to place all of your hope and trust in doesn't make any sense, right? Because, like, it's true. Like, my stuff does fall apart. It's not going to last forever. So why, do I, why would I place my heart in this very temporary world? Right? Like, why would I want all of my hopes to rise and fall depending on how things happen and be going in this world? Right? So Jesus says, don't store up treasures for yourselves on this earth. But, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Right? So he's saying, like, listen, invest your life, invest your time, invest your resources in such a way that it's all about the kingdom of God. Don't be so tied to this world that you don't invest in God's kingdom in this future eternity that we are all going to be going into. Right? He's like, don't let your, as the next verse says, right, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Right? Don't place your heart so tied to this world. Right? Let your heart be found in heaven. Well, like one of the cool things about that verse, it almost sounds like this promise that as you begin to invest in the kingdom of God, all right, not just like money, okay, but just like your time, the minutes, the hours of your day, your life, right? As you invest your life into the kingdom of God, that your heart begins to find itself likewise in God's kingdom, right? Like that the things that you hope for, the things that you desire and pray for, you will find that it's aligning itself to the way that God thinks about your life. Whereas if we're so caught up in this world, you'll find that your heart is so tied up and bound in the way that this world runs. And that, that's an, a very uncertain place. That's not where you'd want your heart to be found because it's going to be rusty and corroded and moth-eaten. Like, you don't want to invest in this place in that way. Okay? So, like, this is one of the things that Jesus says. Or Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 6. He says, But as for you, O man of God, Flee these things. He just listed like the idea of uh, pursuing wealth and selfish ambition and jealousy and all of these things. He's like, listen, if you man of God, don't, don't pursue those things. Run from them, right? Don't, don't be spending your whole life in pursuit of those things. Flee those things, all right? Contrary to the way the world thinks, okay? Like that's what he's, he's saying. He says, instead, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, Love, steadfastness, and gentleness. 
right? Pursue, invest your life in pursuing doing things the way that God would do them, right? Live a right life before God. Have a clear conscience, as Paul says, before God and others, right? Pursue those things, right? Pursue a character that is like the heart of Jesus. And he says, right, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, right? Like literally, like let that be the thing that you pursue. Let that be the thing that all of your life is invested in towards, eternal life, right? To which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Skipping down to verse 17, he says this, as for the rich in this present age, he's speaking to a pastor here, He says, so Pastor Timothy, right, charge them not to be haughty, right, not to be proud in their riches, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. So notice, like, he's not saying that line for the sake of, like, those those rich jerks, they need to share their wealth with with the rest of us. No, he's saying it for the sake of the rich believers, He says, listen, don't let your heart and your hopes be found in the uncertainty of riches. He's saying it for their sake, right? It's not even just for like a distribution of wealth sort of thing that he's saying it, right? He's saying like for their sakes, you don't want your heart to be so tied up with this uncertain, wavering world. It's temporary, all right? He says, uh, let's see, where am I? So set their hopes on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Notice, notice this, that, that God does, while we are in this world and we're not of it, there are still good things in this world. That God is not just some jerk where you have to like go on a hunger strike for the rest of your life, right? You don't have to make a vow of poverty, but God does give us things in this world to enjoy, Right, this glimpse and this flavor of heaven, right? He gives us friendships and, and all of these relationships and things that we can enjoy that give us an idea of what heaven will one day be like, right? Like, so, so God wants you to enjoy your life, but the most joy that you and I can get is living the life that God has called us to. There's no joy found in pursuing our sinful desires, but a temporary one that is fleeting, Right? Like, there's this fleeting pleasure of sin, but it will disappoint us. Right? Stolen bread tastes sweet, but afterwards it tastes like gravel in your mouth. Right? Like, it's like, that's, that's the way that sin is. We think we want it in that moment, and it's going to disappoint us. That the most joy-filled life that we can have, the life that God wants for us, is the one in which our hope is on Him. Right? And we're doing the things that He's called us to. Verse 18, he says, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So notice earlier in this passage, he says, right, take hold of eternal life. And now he's saying, take hold of that which is truly life. It's as if Paul is saying that this temporary life that you and I are experiencing is almost not even worthy to be called real. All right, think about this analogy, right? Uh, Because, I mean, Paul's talking about money in this moment. How many of you, like, first thing when you introduce yourself to someone, brag about the Monopoly game you won five years ago? 
right? right? Like, like that time, man, you should have seen it. I got like all the park place and all of those and, and they landed on it. I got all this money and I had all the monopoly money. You can't believe it, right? Like you're so, like imagine like, no, that, that's foolish because that money is meaningless that once the game is done, once it goes back in the box, it's meaningless, right? And similarly with this earth, our, our lives here are temporary. And if we live so invested in this world, it's just kind of like, what are you doing? Like, you're really excited about that monopoly money. I don't understand. Like, that's, that's kind of weird, right? Like, why are you bragging about that? Like, I don't understand, right? Like, that's not something to place your hope in, okay? Like, it was only had any value, so to speak, in the moments of that game, but it was temporary. But instead, what's cool is we can actually have, there's like an exchange almost, that can occur where we can use the resources and the time that we have and, and exchange them so that they can have this eternal value, this payoff in which, right, God's kingdom is expanded. Other people are set free and liberated by the love of Jesus, right? That this is what we can do with the time and resources that we've been given. Let's see. If you could, over there, uh, Toby, jump to uh, Philippians 3. And verse 17, maybe? Do I have verse 17? I'm going to try to wrap this up here. All right, he says, Brothers, join, me in, uh, join in imitating me and keep your eyes okay, on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. For many whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the, cro- uh, of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory, they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And so notice like this, this idea that Paul paints this picture of when we live according to this world, it's as, as if our God is our belly, right? Like just whatever we crave and desire, that's the thing that we pursue. And like Paul isn't painting that in the best light. Like our, our belly isn't really a, a, a great God. It's going to disappoint you, okay? And, 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 right, and, and he, he parallels that with this idea of setting our minds on earthly things. Like that, I want to just point out, that's like the default state of all of us. That's, that's how I wake up in the morning. Like, I need my coffee and I need breakfast, right? Like, that's, that's like how, it's not like I wake up and like, I need to tell the world about Jesus. Like, that's not my natural inclination, okay? And, and so, like, the, the, the contrast is this, verse 20. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And so what Paul highlights here is that we, although we are in this world, we are not of it. Our citizenship is found in heaven. We need to live our lives focused on the kingdom of God. Right? We don't want to just be following our bellies around this, this world. Like it's going to disappoint us. It's going to leave us with uncertain things. Like we don't want to place our hope in those things. Last verse, John 17, 3. This is Jesus speaking. And he says this. Right? We talk about this idea that, right, take hold of eternal life. Take hold of true life. True life is eternal life. And what does Jesus say here? And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. All right? Eternal life isn't just about being in heaven. It's being with and knowing 
Jesus. And that part, that experience, we can begin in this life now. We get to know Jesus through his word, through his spirit. All right, and like this is true life. The purpose and meaning of this life is to know Jesus. And Jesus has additionally given us the mission of making him known to other people. Let's have the, the worship team come back up. And so church, I'm a little bit all over the place this morning, but I just want to like challenge our hearts to like think about this. Like how can we further be persuaded of this truth? Because I know in an hour I'm going to be eating lunch and be distracted completely and forget about all of this, right? Like, like so how can I like not just live according to my own belly, right? How am I not just going to be so caught up with my, the fact that my body is going to want to take a nap at one o'clock, right? Like, like, is that what I'm going to pursue? Is that what my whole day is going to be about? Is that what I'm going to build my life on? Like, no. Like, the only way we can be persuaded of this, like Paul was persuaded of this, is to just be familiar with and believe the Word of God. Right? Like, it's, it's kind of hard if, if the only times we let that happen is when, like, we're hearing a sermon on a Sunday morning. Right? We need to spend time knowing Jesus and allowing His Word to just wash over us and allow the promises of God to be something that we are persuaded of and we place our hopes in. So that when we enter seasons of difficulty, right, that we will not begin to doubt whether or not he cares for us. And when we enter seasons of complacency, we'll be reminded of our need and desire and thirst for God and his word, right? And when we don't feel those cravings, all right, like then cry out to God in prayer, like, God, like, I don't even know why. I just don't even want to read the Bible today. But like, please just give me this desire for your word. Like, let me spend some time in worship. Let me like... Find the time, make it happen so I'm not just like scrolling through Facebook just wasting my life, right? Like let me live this true life, all right? Like that's just like, that's, I encounter it every day, guys. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean like I'm always thinking about God, right? But like we need to live lives according to this reality. So, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, we yield our hearts to you. We need you desperately, Father. I ask, Lord, that reality would capture our hearts this morning. Lord, I don't even want to offer you just an empty commitment or promise that I'll spend more time in your word or prayer, but Lord, I ask that you would just capture our hearts and attention as we worship you this morning. Lord, let us be persuaded of your word. Let us live lives honoring you and building your kingdom. Let us pursue saving others as we Show you, uh, show you to them. Lord, we need you. We need your word. Help us to, to move beyond just living a complacent life for ourselves. Help us to place our hope and trust in you. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.